If you've never visited us at Community Church, we invite you to join us at 28647 US 12 West in Edwardsburg. We hope you are encouraged by the following message. It's not about what we accomplish in our lives, it's about who accomplished something for us and our belief that we place in Him. And as we take a look today at Romans chapter 5, we're going to see that his deeds or what Jesus has done is what justified, it, justified us, not what we have accomplished in our lives. No matter how many missions trips we've been on, no, many, no matter how many Sundays you served in kids' ministry or in youth group or back in the sound booth, but rather what Jesus did for us. Let's, uh, let's dive right into Romans chapter 5, verse 1. It says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, I'm going to pause right there before we get into the, the rest of it. It, Paul's making an assumption here at the beginning of chapter 5 that we have been justified, which means you have placed your faith in Jesus. And to give you a good idea of what justification means, he talked about it a lot in chapter 4, but it has a lot of courtroom idea behind it. So let's imagine here that we're in a courtroom and God is sitting right up there in the, the judgment seat. And we're sitting behind the defendant's table and Satan's sitting over there uh, behind the prosecution. And, and he's standing there before God and he's saying, remember when Josh lied? Remember when he didn't obey his parents as a kid? And he starts from when you're really young all the way up through. And because you're in the presence of God, every time Satan points those out, he doesn't have to make anything up. You did it. And so you, you nod your head and you're like, yep, I did that. Uh, yeah, I did that one too. Ooh, I had forgotten about that one. Yep, that one too. And during that whole time, you're sitting there thinking, I am not even worthy to be here, let alone be pleading my case. And then Jesus comes up, and he's not really like your lawyer. He's, he's God's son. So he kind of leans on the side of the, the judge's table, and he's like, you see that one right there? He belongs to me. I paid for him. And then God takes the gavel and slams. I, I got a rubber one so I don't hurt Dan's table here. But he slams it on the thing and points at you and says, you are righteous. And that is exactly the definition of justification. You are declared righteous. It's not you're righteous by something you've done. It's not you're righteous by someone else in your life. It's not you're righteous by your parents. It's you're righteous by Christ's blood because he stands there and says, he believed in me. In the chapter previous in Romans chapter four, Paul spends a bunch of time talking about how Abraham was made righteous by his faith, not by the fact that he decided to get up and leave his home, not by the fact that he had a kid when he was really, really old. He was righteous by his faith and his faith drove him to do those things and our faith should do the same, but he was righteous by his faith. And I just, I really want to make sure we understand what justification means because that's where Paul starts in Rome, uh, Romans chapter 5. He says, Therefore, since you have been justified, and then just like our, uh, our Billy Mays guy, does anybody remember those old commercials with, but wait, there's more? Um, if you've ever stayed up late and watched infomercials, um, I don't, I don't know. I would go to bed before I started watching those. But they used to be on like cartoons and stuff when I was a kid. And I always wondered why they put like OxyClean on there right after my Spider-Man show ended. Um, but I'm guessing it's because I thought my mom was sitting next to me. But, the, but wait, there's more is where Paul starts jumping in. The justification of our faith puts us in a place futuristically. You get to be in heaven once you die. However, what about now? 
And it, as great as justification is, and if that was all it was, and I said today that if you believe in Jesus, you get to be justified, it would still be worth me standing up in front of you and preaching about. But that's not all God gives us and all God promises us when we believe and place our faith in him. And the more starts right there in verse one. It says, for, or for, sorry, it says, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. This peace in, the word, uh, in this verse here doesn't mean subjective peace, like a feeling of peace. It is actually an objective peace, meaning the war is over. We are no longer at war with God in our flesh. In Romans chapter 8 verse 7, it says, because the mind is set on the flesh, it is hostile towards God. And so even if you're, you're sitting there thinking, well, I wasn't really hostile towards God. I wasn't against God. I was kind of neutral in there. According to the scriptures, if you're not pointing your mind towards Christ, your mind is hostile towards God because it's pointed towards yourself. And therefore, you were at war. And so the first perk, if you were you know, watching our Billy Mays commercial here with OxyClean, but wait, there's more. If you order now, if you believe now, you also get peace with God. You're no longer fighting against him. You get to shift and change teams. And now you are fighting against sin and against, the, in other passages, the principalities that are here. And so you're no longer in war against God. You get peace through Jesus. So our first perk is peace. And then as we get into verse 2, we see something else that we have right now. This isn't what you're going to have. You get this upon salvation. It says, through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. In the, the New American Standard Bible, different version of the Bible, that word access is interpreted as introduction. And the idea is that right after Jesus says he's mine, you guys get to go back into like the throne room of God and he presents you as a brother or a sister in Christ. And so you're brought in there and you get equal access to God. And so our second thing is you get a place in God's presence. You are a brother with Christ or a sister with Christ. Ephesians 3 says it like this. It says, in him, that's Jesus, and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. Other translations say, with boldness, you may approach God. Uh, to give you an idea of what boldness looks like, my kids the other day, I was sitting on the couch and I have my three oldest kids decided they wanted to come up and take pictures with me because why not? Dad has a phone and dad wants to play with his kids. So they, they all climb up on me and they're all wanting to take pictures and they have a good old time. But a year ago, actually about a year and a half ago, we added a fourth member to our family. And this member of the family is starting to realize when she's missing out on things. Uh, when they're real little, they don't really notice those things. But now that she's reached about a year and a half, she starts to realize it. And so she comes running over and basically ruins the photo for all of them. Like starts screaming, like, Dad, pick me up. I want to turn. I want to take a picture with Dad. And so she scares off her siblings and she climbs up and she wants to take a picture with me too. All right. But she boldly comes to me because she knows she has just as much right to climb up in my lap and take a picture with me as the other three of them do. Because she is a child of mine. We are brought into God's throne room and Jesus says, I'd like you to meet my brother. I'd like you to meet my sister. And we have equal access 
to God through Christ. And we can come boldly, just like Sophie, and come screaming and saying, God, I need you, I want you in my life, I need to share with you, as we see in Philippians, my anxieties, my cares. Or, God, guess what happened today? This is super exciting, I wanna tell you about it. My, Ashwin, my oldest, loves to do that when I come home. She like wants to tell me all about her day, and dad, 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 let me tell you what happened, let me say what I did, and Andrew just likes to come up and punch me. Um, but they, love coming up and showing that they want to be with me. And we get that right away at Salvation, right now, right where you're sitting. You have that as the, but wait, there's more. It's a, it's a perk package with salvation. Yes, you get justification, which is awesome, but you also get peace with God. You also get a place in his presence. And if we keep going, you'll get to see some other things that you get. And this one is a little bit harder for us. This one is a purpose in our tribulations. In verse three, it says not only that, that's Paul's version of the Billy Mays thing. It says, but wait, there's more. Not only that, but wait, if you order now, but wait, there's more. We rejoice in our sufferings. That seems a little weird. Rejoice in our sufferings. Why would I want to do that? If you look at it closely, it's not saying rejoice that you're suffering. It says rejoice in them, meaning during your suffering, you can still rejoice. And, and how or why would we want to do that? And it basically says this, knowing that suffering produces endurance. That first word, endurance, could also be translated as perseverance or patience. So during your suffering, you can know that God is going to produce patience in you. That's the first character trait that gets developed in suffering is, hey, I have to wait on God to help me through this. And the more you do that, let's say you've gone through one suffering and then, and then as life goes on, you face another one. You gain patience. You gain this long suffering. And then from there, uh, actually, I want to rewind a little bit. That, that word suffering could also be uh, tribulations. The Greek word is thalipsis. It means to apply pressure uh, for a purpose, meaning like if you squeeze a grape in order to produce wine or you squeeze an olive in order to produce oil. So the suffering, so we can rejoice in our sufferings or that pressure that God's applying or allowing to be applied to us because we know that it's going to produce things. So that endurance produces character, and the, the word character there is literally, uh, it's pronounced uh, dakime, and it means proven character or proof, and it's used most commonly in their day for proving that gold is pure or silver is pure. And the way they would do that would be they'd take the gold and they'd put it in something and they'd heat it up really, really hot, and all the impurities of the gold would float to the surface. And then they would take a scoop and they would carefully scoop those impurities out of the gold to make the gold pure again. That is what tribulations, that pressure does for us. It, it warms things up a little bit. It doesn't feel comfortable to be inside of that fire. But at the same time, when we're inside of that fire, the character traits that we have that are not Christ-like pop up really fast. And the things that don't reflect God well are the things that come up to the surface. And then if we're honest and we're able to reflect on those things, we can say, you know what? I'm sorry, I shouldn't have been acting that way to the people around me or to God. Let me carefully try to scoop that out of there 
so that next time when I'm in a tribulation, that impurity isn't floating to the surface. We don't just let it harden back over and leave the impurity in there. And after we get proven character or that, that proof that we are more like Christ, we get hope. And that hope in the next verse says it will not put us to shame. But the idea is once Christ has helped you through one tribulation and one trial, as you go forward in life and the next one comes up and you're about to kind of walk into that next trial, you can look back and you can say, hey, remember when God did this? And as I face this one, I know he's going to do it again. Right? And that is what that hope is. And that can't put you to shame because you've seen God work. You know he's going to do it again. And that hope carries us. And that right there is why we can rejoice in our sufferings. Not because we love going through sufferings, but because we have a God who cares enough to not let us remain impatient to not let us keep those impurities inside of us, but rather to work those out. And then we also know that we have a God who's gonna be there right with us as we work all the way through those so that the next time we face it, we can look back and say, God, thank you for helping me before I need you again. And as we said in point number two, we can go directly into that presence of God and say, God, I need you. Right? When my kids need something, they don't hesitate to come up to Hannah or I and say, Daddy, Daddy, or Mommy, Mommy, I need help, I need help, I need help, even if I'm in the middle of something. Right? Because they know they have that access. You have that same access when this comes up in your life. The next thing that we have, we know we have this right now, is we have proven love and forgiveness. Not love and forgiveness we're kind of wondering about. If you've ever uh, dated somebody or even like your junior higher with a crush on somebody, you wonder if that person loves you or likes you. Uh, when I was in college, I know I've told you this before, I kind of chased after my wife. And the whole time I was wondering, like, does she like me? And then when she finally decided to admit that she liked me, it was, does she love me? Right? And then when she finally decided, does she love me? It's like, does she love me enough though to like actually put up with me forever? And then when we finally put a ring on our fingers, it changed from does she love me to I know she loves me. Okay? And that is how mine went and that's how we are. We're in that, or sorry, that's how kind of God looks at it is like, do they love me? Do they love me? But we can look at it more from the other side. It'd be like from Hannah's perspective when this crazy guy is stalking me all over campus, right? She, when she finally decided to like me back, didn't have to question whether I loved her. She already knew I was crazy about her. She already knew I pretty much like revolved my life around her just so that I could convince her to like me. So when we put a ring on her, it was already just a fact. She knew that to be true. And that is how we can view God. We can look at Christ and say, I know it to be true because of, as we see in verse five, and it says, and that hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. That idea of poured out also means like gushed out or spilled out. My kids, I'm pretty sure it's been about a month of dinners where we haven't had a spill. 
Uh, our table is one of those tables that you can like pull apart and add more leaves into it so that it gets bigger. And every, I mean, it feels like every time they spill, it goes right to the middle of that table and goes right into that crack. And then it's not just on the table, it's on the floor and it's in the crack of the table. And so when we want to clean it up, it's like a tag team effort. One of us gets down underneath the table. One of us gets on top of the table. One of us separates the table and wipes out the inside of it. It gets everywhere. That's the idea of God's love is it gets everywhere. It's not like, oh, well, today you need a little bit more. Here you go, drop, and you feel better now. That's not God's love. It gushes out like a geyser through the Holy Spirit. And how can we look back and see it? Right? Hannah could look back at how I pursued her and say, yep, that guy loves me. How can we look back and see God's love? And we see that through what Christ did for us. While we were his enemies, remember point number one, we get peace with God. We get that peace because we were his enemies. And while we were enemies, Christ died at the right time for the ungodly. That's not a super pleasing view of who we are, but it's an accurate one. We are weak and ungodly without Christ. While we were in that stage, Christ died for us. And then Paul goes on to say, for one would scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That right there, in our church, I'm sure we have some people who would be classified as righteous or righteous living people. We would also have some people in our church who would be classified as good. Some of us might be willing to die for them is what Paul is saying. However, none of us would die for an enemy. If we went to war as a church and we we're like, hey, we're gonna go fight this other church. I don't know why we'd do that, but we're gonna do it. Um, it makes no sense for us to say, okay, this is how we're gonna fight. Ready, battle strategy. You guys are all gonna die. Ready? You guys good with that? You can't win a war by dying. And Yet that's exactly what Christ did in order to show his love for us. While we were at war, we're fighting, Christ gave up his life for us. So when we look back, we can see that proven love and that proven forgiveness, not only through our trials that we can have hope that he's gonna do it again, but also from what Christ did for us while we were fighting against him. And that right there is huge because that can give us some of that intangible peace, that, that subjective peace, not the we're literally not at war anymore, but rather that if he was willing to do that for me, he's willing to do anything for me. And if he's willing to do anything for me, I can have peace that he's going to do anything for me. And that can bring some of that subjective peace along with the objective, you're no longer at war. So as we take a look into verse nine, it says, since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Paul loves the resurrection and stresses how important it is through lots of his different books that he wrote in the Bible. 
He stresses why it's so important that not only did Christ die for our sin, but he proved that he can redeem us by his resurrection. And he's doing it again right here. He's saying, we were saved by his death, but we are reconciled by his life. And him being raised from the dead proves that he has the power to do what he said he was going to do through his death. And this right here is what kind of pulls us into our last point, but we need to finish out with verse 11. It says, more than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. We also rejoice. We saw that we should rejoice in our tribulations. We also saw that we should rejoice earlier in the, in the passage about our justification. But more than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have received reconciliation. And uh, all my other points started with a P, so I really tried hard to get a P, but I was, I was failing. So I just gave you the real point underneath. Um, but we get a powerful joy or an awesome reason to worship. Because of what Christ did, we don't get to just look at tribulations and say, yeah, these are going to be a little bit rough, but I have a God who's with me. We can rejoice because we know that there's a God who suffered for us and knows that what suffering is like and is right there with us. We can rejoice because of that hope we have in him, and we can rejoice because he's reconciled us to himself. And we can do all of that rejoicing because of what Christ did for us. Last week, we sung a song called Son Son of Suffering. Uh, Hannah sung it a couple times. When I first heard that song, I was uh, at a youth pastor conference down, where was it, Hannah? I don't even remember the city we were in. Nashville, thank you. We were down in Nashville, and they were leading different songs, and Hannah and I hadn't heard a lot of the songs, and this one came up, and it was playing, and I remember standing there next to Hannah, and we both like turned to each other, and we're like, we need to sing this at church, uh, because the words are so powerful. And I'm, gonna, I'm just going to read for a second here the idea, or sorry, a verse and, and the chorus from that, just to give you some idea why we worship. It says, some imagine you are distant and removed, but you chased us down in merciful pursuit. To the sinner you were grace, and the broken you embraced. And in the end, the proof is in your wounds. Oh, in the end, the proof is in your wounds. Blood and tears, how can it be that there's a God who weeps, there's a God who bleeds? Oh, praise the one who has reached for me. Hallelujah to the son of suffering. We can't have any other response when we take an accurate look at what Christ has done for us other than hallelujah to the son of suffering. It drives us to want to worship. It drives us to want to live for him as we sung in that last song. It drives us to be Christ followers because we can look back and say, wow, look what God did. We can look during tribulations and have that hope. When I was in Florida, uh, I grew up down there. We had, a, we had an orange tree out beside, and a lot of times instead of like making orange juice, my parents would be like, go pick some oranges and we'll make orange juice today. And we would take this orange juice maker, which like rotated that little dome-shaped thing, and you'd cut the orange in half and crush it right on top of it. And all the juice would fall out, but then it had this little strainer that would catch all like the pulp and the, the seeds and things like that. 
That's kind of how our tribulations work. It doesn't feel super great to be that orange that just got chopped in half and then crushed on top of the orange juice maker, but it has a purpose. It removes the skin off the top of the orange. It removes all the pulp. It removes the seeds, and at the end, you get orange juice. And that's how we can rejoice during tribulations. As much as they don't feel good, we can know that God's doing it to produce orange juice. Or God's doing it to produce proven character in us. So when we accurately look at what Christ has done, what Christ is currently doing by being a living Savior and by helping us through tribulations, we don't have any other choice but to do this and to worship and say hallelujah to the Son of suffering. I'm going to invite our worship team back up and we're going to sing that last song, that that build my life. And the first line of that song says, worthy of every song we could ever sing. Worthy of every song we could ever sing. We have a savior who did all of that, who's not just done with that. It wasn't like he died and went away and we never get to see him again. He died, rose from the dead, and is currently doing things for you to reconcile you to Christ or to God. Let's worship him because he is worthy of every song that ever could come out of our mouths. For more information about the church, you can visit our website, edwardsburg.church. You may also contact the church via email, info at edwardsburg.church, or call us at 269-663-2648. Thank you for listening.